sounds low and turn the music on soft. That's not a good prescription for keeping everybody awake. All right. <laughs> um, went to the Nutcracker one time, uh, ballet, right after lunch. It was a matinee show on Sunday afternoon. Been to church that morning. Uh, went with Karen. We thought, boy, this will be a lot of fun, you know, and we'll get the barbarian up here, some culture. And... Um, and so right after lunch, we'd been to church that morning, had a kind of a big heavy meal, and they start playing all that pretty music, and, and I go, hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how much culture went in, but uh, um, maybe by osmosis I picked up a little bit. Um, I'm Pastor Joe. I'm glad you're visiting with us. If you're here visiting with us, um, let me explain, uh, let me just uh, explain a little bit about what we're about as a church. We have a vision to be, first of all, a loving community of devoted followers of Jesus Christ who are walking with God daily, worshiping uh, Jesus faithfully, and serving others with our God-given spiritual gifts. And then also as an aspect of our community to be out in the world building evangelistic relationships with those who don't know Christ. Uh, That's what we're about as a church. And if you are looking for a place where you can grow in your walk with Christ and build relationships with other people and serve them. Uh, If you are looking for a place where Jesus will be exalted every week as we worship and where you can be trained and equipped and uh, given opportunities to share Christ with others, uh, then this is the place for you, and I want to welcome you here. Uh, If you are a longtime member of Chillicothe Bible Church, welcome to you as well. We're glad that you all are here uh, because... Uh, the purpose, one of the purposes we have of Sunday morning is to build up one another in our walk with Christ and in our relationships with each other and in our ability uh, to pursue God more effectively as we uh, meet together. And as part of being a loving community, every now and then uh, you have to deal with an issue uh, relationally and as a church. And last week we we dealt with one issue. This week, we're going to deal with another one, and this will be the last uh, message that I will do uh, dealing with problems uh, until we um, get into the peacemaker, which will, be, which will I, I hope put us on the road toward um, toward healing and toward forgiveness and toward uh, building up uh, the body uh, as we grow together. Um, the issue in in particular. Uh, you know, that we talked about last week is that we felt as elders we had not done all that we could have done to uh, make every effort, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we are doing, we are committing ourselves, as we did last week, to do a better job of maintaining uh, Christ-like unity and confronting and dealing with uh, conflicts between people in the church. And so the final issue that we have to deal with as we move toward reconciliation and peace is the problem of gossip and slander. And again, let me be clear on this. Nobody dislikes confrontation uh, more than me. I, I, I would rather do anything than, than, than talk about this, but this is a we problem and one that we as elders have identified, but also one that... Uh, these guys that we have brought in from the EFCA have also identified for us. And so one of the things that we ask them to do for us is tell us what do we do to fix this. And 
one of the things they asked me to do specifically was to look at what the Bible has to say about the sins of the tongue. And I asked, well, what passage should I do? And they said, well, you really should look at James. Uh, and James is um, very direct in his communication about everything he has to say. Uh, but we want to look at James uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Because this is an issue that we, that we need to not only repent of today as a church, and, I, and by we, I mean all of us, but that we need to take a stand against uh, as a church so that it doesn't become an issue on an ongoing basis in the life of our church and doesn't resurface. So let's look at uh, James chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. If you have your Bible, follow along with me as I read here. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig, fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we acknowledge that we all stumble, as James says, in many ways. And we come to you for your grace and for your help and for your mercy to come alongside us in a time of great need. Father, we love you and we love this church and we love one another and we want to do what is right. Not just in the sight of you, but also in the sight of all men, uh, all men and women who are here, uh, all those that that uh, look at us from the outside of this church and make judgments about us uh, based, on, based on what they hear and what they see us doing. Father, we pray that our love for one another and for you would overflow uh, not only within the walls of this place, but as we go from this place and as we interact with people outside of it, Father, that they would see that we are people who love one another and who forgive each other and who have an opportunity to, uh, on that basis, uh, be a testimony and a light to our community. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, James starts off this passage with some words for those of us who teach. 
and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this first verse uh, because I feel like we, we sort of dealt with that issue um, pretty much last week. But James is right that those of us who have teaching gifts that we exercise have to be careful because both God and his people hold us to a higher standard. And what might be okay for someone else to say is not okay for us. And we are being used, the reason that this is true is that we are being used to speak God's word to his people. And so we have to be careful to speak only the words that God has given us to speak to them. And and in so doing, guard the great privilege that we have been given of standing before God's people and telling them what God's word says. Because that is a great privilege. And if you are one who stands before people and says, this is what God thinks, then you are doubly bound to obey it, right? Because if you know something well enough to teach it, then you know it well enough to obey it, right? That's James' point. Um, And yet, I think there's a note of grace, even in these first two verses, where, you know, James is pretty stern, but look at what he says in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Let's read that again. We all stumble in many ways. And recognizing our own sin, uh, both the propensities that we have as well as the actual sins that we commit, I think is a key for us in being gracious with one another. And it keeps us from becoming pharisaical in how we treat each other. Uh, we we want to be able to speak the truth in love, but we also want to do so in a way that recognizes, first of all, and this is the point of verse 1, recognize the log in your own eye uh, before you take out the speck in your brother's eye. Um, he says, look, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body into check. Um, Let me translate that just a little bit. When he says he is a perfect man, he's not saying this is a literally perfect person in whom there are no sins, right? Um, uh, The Bible is very clear on that. There is no one who does good always and never sins, right? Uh, John says in 1 John, If we say we are without sin, we are liars, and we do not practice the truth, right? Or he also says in another place, we deceive ourselves, right? Uh, None of us is without sin. We all um, sin in many ways. But he's also saying, look, this is what maturity looks like, keeping a rein and a lid on your tongue and what you say and how you say it is a mark of maturity, in Christ. Uh, Proverbs ten nineteen says this, where words are many, sin is not absent. Right? Uh, if you can talk without sinning, you are a mature person, according to James. Uh, and since James is clear that we all stumble in many ways, this is a good mirror for us to hold up to ourselves. And say, let me, let me stick the mirror of God's word up to my life and go, well, since we all stumbled in many ways, and since if I can talk without sinning, that's a measure of maturity, how mature am I? Let's just look at it in terms of 
um, the things that I say or the things that someone else says or the things that you say, um, how are we doing by that standard of maturity? Do we all never sin by what we say? If not, we've got some growing up yet to do in Christ, right? Um, and beginning at verse 3, James kind of changes topics, and, and he, he starts talking about uh, what, I w- what I've labeled big effects from small things. Um, back when I was in college, I had to take two phys ed courses, and you got to choose which ones that you were going to take. And so there were things like weightlifting. I did that one once. Uh, and then there was also stuff like bowling. There was a there was a class on running. I didn't do that one. <laughs> um, there was uh, uh, there was also one on horseback riding though. And I thought, well, that sounds fun. That sounds like me. Uh, make the animal work instead of me, and we'll count it as phys ed, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and so I signed up, and about thirty of us all went off to this um, this boarding stable and riding club where they had and we could take lessons and I took English horseback riding lessons you know the English saddle and we didn't have to wear the little beanie hat which was good um, or the boots but we had this horse my roommate and I took it together and we had this horse and and his name was Noodles. Noodles was huge okay Noodles was like 16 hands high like 1300 pounds and liked to bite uh, if you turned your back on him, he would get you. Whack. In some meaty part of your body, he would get you. The shoulder, the ear, you know, the back of your shoulder, you know, back of your, between your shoulder blades. He would just get you anywhere he could. And my roommate got bit, but I learned from his experience <laughs> and, and thought, I'm not turning my back on this nag. Uh, but you know what was amazing? You could get up around noodles. He, the other thing he liked to do is he liked to blow his belly out when you put the saddle on him so that it would be loose when you got on and slide off. Um, but anyway, uh, he was kind of an ornery sucker, but we could, get the, we could get the bit in his mouth and put the bridle on him, put the bit in his mouth, and all of a sudden he was a different animal. He was well-behaved. He didn't bite anymore. Why? Because that little six-inch piece of steel in his mouth made him uncomfortable enough that we could control an animal that outweighed us both. If you put us both on the scale with him, he still outweighed us by four times. Uh, And we could control that huge, powerful animal with just a little piece of steel. And James says that. He says, look, with... uh, when you when you look at this, you've got an a, an amazing effect from something very small, and that that bit in a horse's mouth turns his will however you want him to go. You can get up on his back, and you can make him go left. You can make him go right. You can make him stop. You can make him go. You can make him turn circles and sit on the ground if you want. You can make him jump over fences. How little thing that can that has a big effect. And controls that animal. And if you look at verse 4, James says that ships are very similar. Uh, In proportion to everything else, the rudder is just a tiny little part of the boat. I used to to go sailing when I was a kid with my uncle. He he has a 20-some foot sailboat, and we would get out on Lake Monroe over in Indiana and sail around, and it was 
um, really a lot of fun, you know, except for you had to watch yourself um, so that the boom didn't smack you. Um, I think that's why they call it boom, actually. But anyway, we're coming about, you know, and you'd have to duck here because here that's, that boom is coming around with the sail. And they've got this massive boat, you know, all this fiberglass, and you've got a cabin down underneath. You can sleep in there, and you've got rails and big 20-foot-high sails, and, uh, you know, the, you put the spinnaker up and really get going. And it's really kind of a neat deal. And then you've got like a four-foot stick that goes down into the water with another little stick on it. That's your rudder. And that is the most significant part of that ship because a little turn this way and you head, head off that direction, a little turn this way, you head off that direction. And, and that little stick, that little piece of wood, turns the entire vessel. And it's amazingly powerful. Even on a giant ship, you know, you look at one of these, uh, you know, Los Angeles class submarines or one of these giant aircraft carriers. You know, 4,000 men on an aircraft carrier and all these ships and so forth. Uh, and the rudder, as a proportion of the rest of the ship, is really small. But it turns and the ship goes that way. There's a huge effect from a very small thing. If you can control that little part, you can control the whole vessel. Just like if you control the bit, you can control the whole animal. And in James 5, uh, or James uh, 3 verse 5 here, he says, Likewise, the tongue, this is his point, why he gives these illustrations. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark the tongue just like a rudder and just like a bit is very small relative to the rest of you but it can control a whole lot of you and control of the tongue controls the body um he says it's like a small spark that creates a huge fire. My, my grandfather was an Indianapolis Fire Department fire captain, retired from the IFD. Um, and he told me one time that, that a house fire, if you get a house fire started, even with just a little small spark, uh, maybe you have a, a faulty wire or something that, that sparks in your wall and, and things catch fire, that a house fire doubles in size. Now, this just amazed me. Every 60 seconds. If it takes the fire department 15 minutes, your house is gone. Because what starts out this size goes to this size, and then this size, and then this size, and then consumes the room, and then consumes the floor, and then consumes the house. It starts out very, very small. When we lived in Texas, you, you would see the same sort of thing because in Texas, it looks like, in the summertime, it looks like the moon. Uh, everything is just brown and dry and hot. I mean, it looks hot when you look out your window. You just go, oh, it's 107 again today, you know, and, and everything just gets dry and just, just desiccated everywhere. 
And every now and then you would see, as you drove down the road, where somebody had flipped a cigarette butt out the window, and it had burned all the way down the median from just one little, I mean, how much fire is there in a cigarette, really? Not much, but it had burned for a mile up the road from just that one little spark in all that dry grass. And James says, look, the tongue is really powerful. My grandfather was so afraid of fire. You know, you think that's weird for a fireman. Uh, but he was so concerned about not having a house fire at, at his house. Apparently, that's bad form. Uh, to be a fireman, have, have to have your buddies come put out the fire at your house. Uh, that he would not allow his kids to have a Christmas tree in the house until Christmas Eve. Because he was just, you know, he had seen those Christmas trees just go, whoom. Especially back in the day before they had good lights. Um, And those lights would get so hot and that tree would just go up like that. And all of a sudden the house would be consumed. And that actually was a tradition that carried on into my own family until we got an artificial tree. We only ever got a a real tree like the night before, uh, the night before, uh, night before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, we would go get a tree. And the other, the other side of that was is that we were dirt poor for a lot of those years. And on Christmas Eve, they give the Christmas trees away for, for free or for like a dollar or two, you know. And so we would go get one, and then we'd bring it in, and we'd have it up, you know, three or four days, and then they'd come down. Why? Because the little spark could set that whole tree on fire. And all of a sudden, it'd be consumed, and there'd be a huge effect from a from a little bitty thing. And James' point is this, that um, our sins with our tongues start out small, but they have great effects. And sins with the tongue can destroy things that they touch, things like marriages, friendships, families, companies, nations, and churches and be destroyed by things that start out small and then burn wild. And James amplifies this point in verse 6. He says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And what he's saying there is that what we do with our tongues affects all of our life. The words that we say aren't just reflective of what's in our hearts. They reflect back on us and change how we think and feel and act. Because what we put out there actually has an impact on us as well as coming from us. And it can corrupt us from the inside. Uh, They actually affect our thinking as we say them. And so if we use nasty or cutting or critical or harsh words long enough, we become that sort of person. We become a nasty, cutting, harsh, critical person. Why? Because the words that we say don't just flow out of us. They affect us as we say them. Uh, And those kind of sins that we participate in can even start to affect us physically. That's what he means by it corrupts the whole person. 
So it's not just your mind, it's also your body that starts to be affected by this kind of talk that people can engage in. How many of you have ever been to a nursing home? Okay, There are two kinds of people in nursing homes. There are pleasant, joyful, enjoyable, delightful people in nursing homes, right? And then there are sour, nasty, bitter, gross, critical people in nursing homes, right? Anybody met any of those? Okay, I met some too. How did they get to be there? How did they, not in the nursing home, I mean, how did they get to be in that place? How did they get to be in that, in that place uh, where they are with their spirit? They got that way. <laughs> they got that way by practicing that kind of thinking and speech over a lifetime to where they now can't do otherwise than to act that way. They can't do otherwise. Because they have practiced and, and, and trained themselves to be critical, angry, nasty, bitter people. And now they, they don't know how to behave any differently. And that's what James means by it corrupts the entire person. According to James, the tongue that burns through a person's life this way is set on fire by hell. And what I think he means by that is, is that a person who allows this kind of negative talk to be part of their life long enough actually becomes the instrument of Satan to destroy people and relationships. And so it's very, very dangerous because it can corrupt the whole person and then you actually become used of Satan to destroy. Set on fire by hell. Now, verse 7 and 8, uh, James continues by reminding us that, that men can tame all kinds of animals and keep them as pets. Uh, we used to have a pet hamster named Fluffy, all right? Uh, oh, we, we've had, uh, I, I, as a kid, I had a pet lizard. Uh, he was great. You know, you feed him grasshoppers and stuff, and he, wham, and grab that grasshopper and eat it, and it was like, ooh, that's so cool, you know? We'd watch that, my brother and I. Um, Karen draws the line at me getting a pet snake. Um, but we have a, we have a pet dog. It's not much of a dog. It's, you know, it's, it's like this, you know, full grown, a little dachshund. Um, but people have pet dogs. They have pet cats. Uh, they have, I, I used to have a buddy that had a pet raccoon, um, which I guess is really great until they're about six months old and then they get kind of nasty. Um, I had a, I had some friends in Iowa that had a pet skunk. Um, you take the scent gland out of them, and I guess they're just like a cat, but, you know, not for me. Uh, people have, have pet parrots, uh, pet monkeys. Uh, people have fish they keep in aquariums just because they like to watch them swim around and put the little fish flakes in there and so forth. Uh, some of the more unbalanced people in our world have uh, pets they probably shouldn't have, right? They have pets like lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And, and we can tame all these animals, right? We can tame all these kinds of animals, but none of us, as smart as we are compared to the animals, can tame the tongue. 
James says. And when you think about it, the power of speech that we have is really one of the most amazing things that we have. One of the most amazing things about being made in the image of God is that you, know, you can communicate and talk. And you can take air and move it over your vocal cords and vibrate your soft palate and your tongue and your lips and your teeth, and you can make sounds. And you can do things like this. You can go, I love you, right? Okay. Uh, you, you can make those sounds that come out of your, that come out of your mouth. Just, that's just really the vibration of air over certain parts of your anatomy. And you can, with, that, with those sounds and with that air moving through your anatomy that way, you can do one of a couple of things. You can either build up a relationship or you can tear it down. You can make people feel what you feel. I mean, how many of you ever, ever watched one of those Hallmark movies, right? And they want, they have, they, you know, you, you have this big emotional buildup to the, like the great reunion at the end. And, of course, it's designed to make even grown men cry. And so you watch the movie and, you know, you say, it's just running everywhere. How, how does that happen? Because they're communicating in a way that lets you feel what those characters feel, even though they're not real people. Or we'll send somebody a card, and we can communicate through that card in a way that lets them know what you want to express, or write a poem, or a song, or even um, say those words, I love you, that communicate a very deep, feeling and a very deep commitment to someone else and we have an amazing power of speech but the ability to touch people's hearts with our words carries with it the ability to cut them as deeply as you can cut a person you can cut someone so deeply that you leave a scar that kind of heals over but never really stops being tender. And it always hurts. And that is why I think James says that it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. When you cut somebody with your words or spread destructive rumors about them, it destroys part of them just as surely as if you had given them literal poison. It destroys part of them and who they are. Now, in the last four verses of this text, James talks about oxymorons. Now, you, you might not know what an oxymoron is, but oxymoron is two things that don't go together. Things like jumbo shrimp. Um, okay, peacekeeper missile. <laughs> you know, uh, military intelligence. You know, these, these kinds of things. <laughs> you know, maybe I, maybe I should say football intelligence. I don't know, but... Um, you know, smart boxer, you know, I don't know. Um, but um, intelligent man, I don't know. But anyway, um, things that don't go together. Uh, and James starts talking about this. He says an, it's an oxymoron for a person who claims to follow Christ to have a destructive tongue. Uh, it makes no, no more sense for a person who is a follower of Jesus to have a destructive tongue than it is 
to have a, uh, a grapevine uh, that produces figs or a fig tree that gives off olives or a freshwater spring that occasionally just spurts, starts spurting out salt water. Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever been really, really, really thirsty. Uh, you know, you've, maybe you've been out cutting grass or, or digging, uh, digging holes in a yard or something like this, and you just get that cotton mouth, you know, and you go in and, and your wife is sitting there and she says to you, Honey, I have got the perfect thing to satisfy you. Have this nice, warm glass of salt water. <laughs> right? You're going to look at her like she is crazy. This woman has grown another, uh, has grown another head. You know, what's, what's, wrong with, what's wrong with this picture, right? That is not what you want. What is refreshing is something that's, that's about this tall, you know, about that big around, full of ice. And fresh, cold, clean water. You don't want salt water. Why? Because it desiccates the cells in your body. It doesn't make you. Uh, it doesn't ref- doesn't refresh your thirst. It makes you thirstier. And James says, "Look, fresh water and salt can't come out of the same uh, spring. Fig trees should always produce figs. Grapevines should always produce grapes." Freshwater springs should always produce fresh water. In the same way, makes no sense at all for the people who follow Jesus Christ most closely and who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells them and gives them new life uh, to use their tongue destructively against one another. Uh, you ever hear somebody really cussing a blue streak? I grew up around a lot of uh, construction sites. Uh, and one thing about construction workers is that they are not that careful with their vocabulary, generally. Um, but every now and then, you would hear somebody say, Hey, man, you kiss your mother with that mouth? I mean, seriously, you know, give it a rest already, right? This is what James is saying, only he's not talking about your mother. He's talking about God. He says, he says Look here, you, you praise God with that mouth? You praise God with that mouth? How can you say the kinds of things that you're saying about other people when they have been made in the image of God? You can't speak evil of people created in God's image because, uh, and at the same time, praise the God who created them. You can't do it. Uh, years ago, I ran across a quote from C.S. Lewis and... Um, and he said this. This is He kind of underlines this. He says, uh, It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature if, which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, to some degree, helping each other toward one or another of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every person is created in the image of God, and with our words we either point people towards Christ or turn them away from him. There are no simply ordinary people. Every person is created in the image of God. 
And we need to recognize that as we speak to one another. Or consider these words from Jesus. He said this, For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words really do reveal what is in our hearts, whether we want them to or not. And God will hold us accountable not just for the nasty things that we say, but according to Jesus, for even the thoughtless things that we say. I don't know about you, but that convicts me a little bit because I have occasionally, well, maybe not occasionally, uh, more than once, we'll say that, started to speak without engaging the brain. Right? Um, or not really listened to what somebody was trying to say to me. I was careless in how I responded, thoughtless about what I was doing. And Jesus says, you'll have to give account for that, for every careless thing you have said. And he also says that, that if we want to change what's in our hearts, I mean, what comes out of our mouth, we have to change what's in our hearts because it's out of our hearts that our mouth speaks what it says. And so if we notice that what is coming out of our mouth is not good, then we need to change what we put in our hearts. And the only way to do that, I think, is by taking in God's word as deeply as possible, as often as possible, so that and then applying it and putting it into practice in our lives. Um, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change our thinking so that our speech then begins to change. Uh, one, of the, one of the great things about being a loving church, and, and we have been for a long time a loving church here at Chillicothe Bible Church, with a deep affection for one another, but one of the dangers or the, or the potential downside to that is the development of cliques, uh, the rise of gossip, and a tendency to criticize others for their flaws without ever directly going to them and talking to them about it. And I understand the difficulties in biblical confrontation when you have an issue. Believe me, I understand. Nobody dislikes confrontation more than me. And a lot of times the reason that we're reluctant to confront and we'd rather speak to someone else is because we're hurt. And when we're hurt, we don't want to go back to the person that hurt us and try to resolve it. But biblically, that's our responsibility. And, and we need to be careful that we're, not, that we're not ultimately having a selfish reaction and saying, well, I'm going to look out for my needs and what I want and protect myself and never consider the needs of the other person. We need to not think as much about our pain, our desires, or, um, or ourselves as much as other people and their good. We need to be careful that we're not 
selfishly and self-righteously making ourselves the standard for right and wrong and making everyone else jump to our tune. This is a this kind of destructive talk is something that is present to a degree in our church. Just being honest, uh, it's there. And, and it has the great potential for destruction of relationships, of people, and even of the church itself. And I never do this, but I just want to drive a stake right here today and say that this needs to come to an end. That we need to be more careful in how we speak to one another and how we speak about one another. And that if we have an issue that we feel the need to speak to someone else about, that that someone else needs to be the person who offended us. And if you are with me in this and willing to take a stand against gossip, against hurtful speech, against criticizing others behind their back, I'd like you to stand right now. Let's pray.